Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to The Takeaway. I'm Melissa Harris-Perry, and it's good to have you with us. We've just passed the two-year anniversary of the inauguration of President Joe Biden. This is America's day. This is democracy's day. A day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew. It's been a busy two years. The president has seen the confirmation of 97 of his picks for the federal judiciary. In the last Congress, passed a total of 365 laws, including protecting same-sex marriage, tightening gun loopholes, and shoring up mechanisms for the electoral count. And late last year, Biden signed a key piece of legislation. I'm about to sign the Inflation Reduction Act into law, one of the most significant laws in our history. Let me say from the start, with this law, the American people won and the special interests lost. The act capped the cost of some prescription drugs, instituted a corporate tax increase, and contained the largest investment in U.S. history to combat climate change. It passed along party lines, but Biden saw bipartisan successes too, with a $1 trillion infrastructure bill to fund roads, bridges, and ports across the country that he got passed in late 2021. Earlier in that same year, Biden had signed the American Rescue Plan, a $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package. Thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we have come a long way. We got vaccine shots in arms. We helped people who needed them at the most. We kept teachers in classroom, cops in the beat, firefighters on the job because the, the local communities didn't have the money to pay for them. But there have also been challenges, missteps and even failures. Biden was forced to dismantle and rebrand parts of his would-be signature plan, Build Back Better. The war in Ukraine helped inflation skyrocket to its highest rate in four decades. And the hasty withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan saw near-immediate Taliban takeover. But the most recent setback is more self-inflicted. We're back with breaking news. New details today in the classified documents investigation into President Biden. In November, Biden's personal attorneys discovered Obama administration records at the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C. And as the FBI and Justice Department began investigating, they found more classified documents at Biden's home in Delaware. His lawyers and the White House say that they've been cooperating fully with the investigations, but Republicans have seized on the opportunity for scandal, with the House Judiciary and House Oversight Committees signaling they may launch their own investigations. So to understand how to assess this mixed bag of the past two years, I sat down with Julian Zelizer, professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. There's gonna be different perspectives on how he's doing depending on your politics. But if we're just measuring some of the basics for a presidency, he's doing pretty well. He has a very extensive uh, and significant legislative record, three major bills uh, that passed in a very narrow majority. 
He did very well in the midterms. His party did increase their majority in the Senate and really checked a lot of the losses in the House. And Democrats did very well throughout many states, uh, which was a, a big benefit for them and not expected in the midterms. Uh, and his approval ratings have obviously been going back and forth, but overall, they're not disastrous. So uh, even though there's a lot of talk now about whether he'd run, just by those measures, he's doing pretty well after two years. All of that doesn't account for the current dust up around classified documents. Does that really make a difference in how we should be assessing how this presidency is going? Well, sure. Uh, I think dust-ups can matter, uh, and it certainly can become a much bigger issue going into the election, not necessarily the details of the documents and how they were handled, but if Republicans are able in the next year to, especially through their control of the House, to raise questions about his character, to undermine some of the image that voters have of him as a very trustworthy, hardworking uh, politician, that could matter. We saw that with Hillary Clinton in 2016. Many people discounted the email uh, and server scandal, and, and it ended up being part of the campaign. So it's certainly the scandal can end up turning into something bigger. Are there other key measures that suggest to us sort of both how history remembers presidents and I guess, I guess the big thing for a first-term president, whether or not they become second-term presidents? I should start by saying legislative success doesn't always mean political success. There's lots of presidents who have a lot of legislation get through, uh, including Lyndon Johnson between 1964 and 66. And ultimately, things go wrong in their presidency with Johnson. Vietnam overwhelms everything he had done, and he doesn't run for re-election in 1968. Uh, the economy ultimately becomes very important in how people measure legislative accomplishments. So it's not a simple equation of a president gets this through Congress, the benefits provide this kind of support, and, and people are happy. Sometimes the economy will really dictate uh, where a president stands. And, and finally, uh, issues of character and personality, whether we think that's the right way to handle politics or not, do matter. Um, so there's lots that go into the mix beyond what a president can get through uh, Capitol Hill. If we're thinking about two years ago when President Biden takes office, just take a couple of areas of sort of how American life feels. And maybe the, the key one really is is COVID-19, is the pandemic. How has the president, the White House done um, in terms of managing the pandemic? If you compare where we are in early 2023 to where we were when his presidency started, we're in much better shape. There's been missteps along the way for sure. Uh, there were early problems of communication with the CDC in terms of masking and, and when you don't need to have a mask. There's been problems with some of the vaccines, uh, subsequent vaccines and the rollouts. But overall, the country's in much better shape. I mean, businesses are open. We're open as a society. Schools are open. And I think the feeling of the public, even though the pandemic is still alive and the virus is still very much present, we are not being defined by that anymore. So uh, I think overall, his policies have been pretty successful. Inflation has been a problem. But from what we're seeing now, it looks like we're in a good place uh, heading in the right direction of containing those prices. There's more with Julian Zelizer right after this. I'm 
this week's On the Media, one former NPR editor's grievances are reverberating far beyond a Substack essay. He claims wokeness is ruining the place. That marginalized people are storming the barricades and dictating that this story happens and this story gets killed and we're going to use this language and not use that language. That's not what I saw. On this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. I'm back with Julian Zelizer of Princeton University with a checkup on Joe Biden's presidency so far. How are people feeling about the economy right now? It's an odd combination. So in the 1970s, we had high inflation as well, uh, which in the end was much longer and worse than what we're experiencing now. But it was also combined with high rates of unemployment. So we're in this weird moment now where prices clearly have been an issue. Polling in the midterm suggested people do care about this and they're worried about this and they're worried about how it affects their family budget, groceries, rent and more. But at the same time, they have jobs. Uh, the market is pretty good if you need employment and uh, people are still spending a lot of money. So I think the problem of inflation from what we see in polls is, is on people's minds, it's causing concern. Uh, and certainly the turbulence in the stock markets doesn't help uh, even as it ripples through society. But it's not a 1970s situation. Let's talk about race. Given we know how critical these constituencies will be, if he runs for re-election or if any member of the Biden administration stands for election in 2024, which presumably someone will, what do we know about how Black and Latino voters are feeling about him? Well, clearly there's some disappointment. Some of the disappointment stems for sure from the disconnect between early promises from the administration in the heat of the 2020 campaign to be responsive uh, to a lot of the concerns from Black Lives Matters, to be more responsive to the concerns of immigration uh, advocates after four years of really reactionary policies. And, and Biden has not moved forward on some of these, uh, some for political reasons. He just feels he can't. Others, his priorities have been different. Uh, on immigration, there's a lot of criticism that he has continued with some of the policies that Trump put into place. And uh, on the border, uh, sometimes he's not only continued, but accelerated measures. And, and so there is clearly frustration. And because of the issues we talked about with the economy, uh, that also probably undercuts some of the enthusiasm uh, from different communities. Whoever runs, whether it's Biden, the vice president, another Democrat, they're going to be running against a Republican Party that has moved pretty far away, very far away uh, from the concerns of both communities. And so I think there's still room for Democrats to make a case in 2024 that they are the better alternative, even with some of the disappointment out there in the electorate. You've written about policymaking versus implementation in kind of this second half of the first term. What does it mean to focus on implementation, especially with um, a Congress that is so uh, closely but narrowly divided? It's very important. I mean, implementation is the boring phase of politics. <laughs> Passing a bill is very exciting. It's high stakes. There's a lot of drama in it draws people in. But what we saw with the Affordable Care Act, for example, a lot of policies really are made uh, or, or broken in the implementation phase, meaning are they put into place effectively? Do people really feel and enjoy the benefits? And now 
that's where Biden has to focus on a, a lot of the measures in his uh, anti-inflation legislation, uh, in his infrastructure program. How are the money? How are the monies distributed? Are they used well? Do people see quickly the connection between what's going on in their families and their communities in terms of a, a bridge being built or a road being fixed or uh, new kinds of green energy being put into place and what the administration did? Uh, and he needs to make sure that goes well. That is where the Affordable Care Act really started to gain political strength. And because of the way Congress looks right now, a Republican House and still a narrow Senate majority, legislation isn't going to be easy. So it's also his best bet politically if he wants to solidify how people see his administration. What kind of Republican is the Biden administration hoping if they're planning to run in 2024? Who do they want to run against? I think they want to run against Donald Trump again. I mean, probably in their minds, this is something they've proven that they can defeat. Trump just overwhelms uh, the national public square so much that some of the problems we've discussed or challenges with the Biden administration might not be as visible. Uh, and the contrast between someone who is relatively conventional in terms of how they govern and someone who's the opposite of, meaning uh, the former president, I think the administration sees that as their best bet for it, as opposed to a younger Republican who's more savvy, uh, who shows more kind of executive skills like Ron DeSantis. I think that frightens the administration much more. I'm struck by thinking about the two most recent Democratic presidents who did serve a second term, President Barack Obama and President Bill Clinton. And what both of them had was a fairly extraordinary capacity to communicate. It's a little different for President Biden for all kinds of reasons. How would you as assess sort of his both current execution of presidential communication, but also sort of what you see as possible for him as a communicator? It's never been a strength of his, uh, even at his best. He had trouble with the communication part of presidential politics. And this is why his campaigning often didn't go as well. He's much better in these one-on-one -on -one settings. He's very compelling, people say, uh, just watching how he could interact with every American. And I think some of the communication's gotten more difficult with age. Uh, and he's also trying to communicate in an incredibly fractured and contentious media environment. So all of this makes it it much harder for him. And he's not as good as the Democrats uh, who came came before him. So it's going to be tough. And House Republicans have a, a platform in the next two years to keep challenging him as he tries to communicate issues. So he might want to talk about policy X. He might want to talk about the economy. They're going to be talking about Hunter Biden. So it's going to require a lot of skill. Uh, to get through that and to navigate through that. And one of the questions a lot of Democrats have is, is he up to that? Uh, and, and we just don't know. Uh, he was good in 2020. But again, some of that was the context and who he was up against. And we don't know what that will look like going into 2024 if he decides to run for re-election. Julian Zelizer is professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. His most recent book is Myth America, Historians take on the biggest legends and lies about our past. Julian, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me.